Good morning. Good to see all of you here at Shelby Bible Church. I'm really excited for this morning, the opportunity to share from God's Word with you. Uh, what you just viewed is what's called a Why Jesus video. And uh, what we're doing is about once a month, we will have uh, various people within our church share how they came to know Christ. It's a great opportunity uh, to get to know people. It's a blessing to us. And then also, it's hopefully going to be an outreach to people. Uh, there's cards at the Welcome Center you can hand out, and it all goes to a YouTube link. A uh, great way to share your testimony. If you're interested in doing that, you can reach out to the office, and they'd be glad to have you. Uh, but I'm really excited for the opportunity to preach this morning, and uh, really been looking forward to it. I have to be honest, when I first uh, saw the passage that I was going to be covering, I was a little nervous, because I wasn't exactly sure uh, where I was going to go with it, what was going to happen, and uh, I was a little intimidated at first. But one of the things I really appreciate uh, about Pastor Mike and the preaching ministry of Shelby Bible Church is that we focus on exegetical preaching, meaning that we allow the text of Scripture to speak for itself. Uh, and so our goal is to go verse by verse through the text of Scripture, and uh, through my study and time in the Word, I found uh, to be a very exciting text this morning, and there's a lot of connections uh, between what we've been talking about. So looking forward to it, and um, as I was thinking about this message this week, uh, for Christmas, my folks got uh, Naomi and I a brand new miter saw. Big honking saw. We set it on the table. And uh, <laughs> yes, brother. Uh, and so we put this on the table. And at the time, I didn't really think clamps were very necessary. Didn't really worry about holding it down. And so we began doing work. And slowly, as you press in on different cuts, you could feel it move. And especially when we would do angle cuts, you could feel it move. So we got some clamps. No limbs were cut. Uh, nothing crazy happened, but those clamps really did a good job of holding that saw steady so that when we did work, uh, we could make precise cuts. I think sometimes in life, uh, the circumstances that we face can be a lot like clamps. Uh, sometimes the circumstances we go through, what they do is they clamp down on us and they tighten down and they put pressure on us to see what is really going on on the inside. You and I both know we're all very skilled at letting people see what we want them to see and hear what we want them to hear. And yet, sometimes what's going on on the inside is not an accurate reflection of what's happening on the outside. In our text this morning, I'm really excited, and it's, I'm very challenged by it. Uh, what we'll be looking at is Jesus calls out two different groups of people. One group is a group of religious leaders, and he has a list of things to say to them. And then he calls out a poor widow. And so the reason for the call-outs are very different, and they have a lot less to do with what's going on the surface and a lot more to do with what's going on on the inside. And we know a lot through scripture, there's a lot of references to the importance of the heart. Right? What's happening on the inside, though it may be hidden from those around us, it is impacting our actions, it is impacting the way we live, and ultimately, it's not hidden. The Lord knows. You look at uh, Luke 6.45, I'm paraphrasing, Jesus tells us that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, my words are a reflection of my heart. We know in Proverbs, we're told 4.23, to guard our hearts Above all else, for from it flow the issues of life. And so the heart is a central, critical aspect of our being. And though you can't see my heart, I must guard it. And I must be careful to not put on a fake act to appease you and make me look good. Because if I do that, I can fall into pride and sin. And then lastly, you know the story of Samuel. He's looking to see who is the next king of Israel. right? And he's looking at all the brothers and he finds that it's not, the Lord's not looking on the exterior, he looks to the heart. 
right? And so the heart is critical, and what's really happening on the inside is, is important. And in the story we're going to talk about today, we see that one group gives abundantly in, in their giving, and the other very little. And the Lord is pleased with the one who gives little in this, in this, sec, in this section. Um, as I was thinking about the whole issue of the heart and, and the importance of guarding it, uh, as, a, as a boy growing up, uh, I have, I'm the oldest of three, and so uh, my brothers and I often fought. We often were in trouble. We often were in circumstances where dad was working with us. And my dad had various tactics that he would use to deal with us and to get beyond the surface actions to the heart. One of them is he would have us hold our hands straight out, and we would just have to hold them. And then we would slowly do circles, and we'd do different things. And I think the purpose of it was to break down that, that pride and to get us to a place of humbly accepting what we'd done wrong. Even more impactful from what I remember, when my brothers and I would get into it, he would have us come face to face, yes, face to face, nice and close, explain our part in the wrongdoing, and then to cap it all off, hug. Um, I don't know about you, but when I'm getting into it with a sibling or with, a, with my wife, you don't always want to hug right away. Right? Sometimes you want some time to cool off, and my dad, what he would do is if our apology wasn't genuine or if our hug was too short, he would say, do it again, right? Do it again, because my dad wanted to cut through the pride of our hearts. He wanted to cut through the acting and get to a place where we were humbly accepting what we had done wrong. And in our text today, Jesus goes straight at the, this group of scribes, and he addresses the things that they're doing wrong, and, and he's getting deeper beyond just the surface. He's getting to the heart. And so as we, as we look at our text, you, if you wouldn't mind, stand with me. We're going to read Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and the uppermost rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast in the treasury." For they all did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all she had, even all her living. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And Lord, as we study and as we hear uh, from your text, we pray that you would draw us uh, to yourself. I pray that you would guide us into truth. Help us to be a people who walk away from here applying what we learn. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity to be together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And so as we look at our text, before I dig in and, and start going through verse by verse here, I want to um, give us some background of where did these religious groups come from? Where did these religious leaders come from? They weren't always in leadership. They weren't always as influential and as prominent as they are in the day of Jesus. And so as we look at the history of, of the scriptures, we know that Malachi is the last scripture in the Old Testament and it's the last time a prophet comes before the people and calls them to repent. We know that uh, the Israelites, in the writing of Malachi, they were rebelling against God so much to the extent 
that uh, there is what's called a period of silence after the book is, is accomplished. We know that at the end of Malachi, um, the, the prophet promises that a prophet will come in the spirit of Elijah, and then shortly thereafter, the Messiah would come. So we're looking forward to when John the Baptist comes on the scene, baptizing, preaching repentance, and then Jesus comes. And in between these events, there's 400 years of what's called silence. What's happened is God is no longer giving any direct revelation to the people. There are no new prophets. There is no new teaching or instructions from the Lord during this period of time. What's happened? The Lord has given Israel what Israel wanted, autonomy and the ability to do what they wanted. He has given them that freedom. He has allowed them to go their course. And so during these 400 years, because there's no direct revelation from God, groups of people rise up and begin to gain influence. Specifically, we know that in these groups, there were periods of time when the, the Israelites were in captivity, and the temple was not uh, operable for worship. And so because of that, groups rose up in influence that before were not. And so as we look at this, the first group that comes to mind is the Pharisees. The word Pharisee literally means set apart one. The Pharisees, as at the beginning, they started as a group who desired to live faithfully for the God of Israel, to follow the scriptures and to apply them in their lives. And what they did is they separated themselves from the culture they lived in. All of the people of Israel were being influenced by Roman rule, by Roman government, by Roman culture, and the Pharisee wanted to step outside of that and live a life that brought glory to God. But we know over time what happened is they began to add teachings and traditions and brought them to the same authority level as Scripture. And when that occurs, when Scripture is not seen as authoritative, we fall into pride, we fall into man's tradition, and they fell away from the Lord. And then we have the Sadducees. This is the antagonistic group to the Pharisees. The Sadducees were a group that aligned themselves with the culture. They were involved in the leadership of Rome. In fact, they actually were responsible for putting a person in place of the high priest. And so the Sadducees aligned themselves with uh, the culture and the time in that day. And I always remember the word Sadducee because the first three letters spell sad. It's a sad group. It's a sad belief system because they do not believe in the resurrection from the dead. They do not believe in anything supernatural. They reject scripture. And then lastly, we have the scribes. The scribes originally were a group of people who operated, in essence, as secretaries for the priests. And so they would copy the, 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 the scriptures into different scrolls, and they were there as a help and a means to help the priest. In the course of time, as the temple was not able to be used for worship, the scribes became more and more prominent in influence. And in Mark 12, uh, Pastor Mike in the last four weeks has uh, shared from different texts with us. Now I want to show you each group he's dealt with in, the, in these texts. In Mark 12, 13 through 17, the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they want to know, hey, who should we give tax to Caesar? Should we give him our taxes? And Caesar believed himself to be a god. He, he proclaimed himself to be that way. And Jesus takes their coin, says, whose inscription's on this coin? They say Caesar. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And Give to God what is God's. And so what we learn in that, that section is that you and I are image bearers of God. Therefore, our very lives belong to him. So the people, the experts in living apart from culture, had actually created a subculture and they did not know God. The very people whose goal was to set aside themselves from the culture to honor God were not honoring God. Okay? The next group in 18 to 27 is uh, the Sadducees. And their question targets a 
a law called the Leveret Law. You guys remember this. This is uh, the, the story of a woman who is married to seven different brothers. And the question is, whose wife will she be in the resurrection from the dead? And Jesus' response is, you know not the scripture nor the power of God. And the point is that they knew what the scripture said, but they did not know what the scripture said. The knowledge never left here and came to here. And so the people who were experts of the law did not indeed know the law. And then last week, our text in verses 28 through 37, we are with the scribes now. And the question is, teacher, which is the greatest or the most important command in all of the law? Keep in mind, there's over 600 commands in the law, and they're wanting him to summarize it to one. And Jesus tells them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what's interesting, what Pastor Mike drew out last week, is that this scribe almost compliments Jesus' answer, but what he does is he misses the fact that he cannot love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He cannot love his neighbor by himself. And the point was, you and I are not called to do better, we're called to be different. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in us to cause us to be someone that we cannot be apart from Christ. And so the expert teachers of the law misunderstood how the law should be applied. So all this to say, our text this morning is going to address a group of people who were experts in the law of God, and yet they did not know God. And so in verses 38 through 40, we're going to first look at the fact that Jesus calls out the scribes. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing. They love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the upper, uppermost rooms at feasts. And so, you know, as we look at this, um, the word love refers to the idea of taking pleasure in something, wishing for something, delighting in something. And so the scribes are delighting or they're um, wishing for this list of things we're about to go through. And if you look, we see first, it, it's, we're told that they love to go in long clothing. And so they wore a garment that was white and it was long and it was noticeable. And so they would go out in public and people would see them dressed in the way they were. And actually in, in, in this time, only priests and uh, teachers were to wear this garment. So they were, they were wearing a garment that wasn't necessarily theirs to wear. So they're wearing clothes to be seen. They receive salutations in the marketplaces. Rabbi, father, master. And they delighted in hearing people call them by those names. Uh, people very likely who respected them very highly. Uh, the next thing, they're the chief seats in the synagogue. So what happens in the synagogue is that they would sit up front next to where the scrolls were kept. And they would face out towards the people. So they would be in a very prominent place. And they would be in a place where people would see them. And then lastly, um, my favorite, uppermost room at the feasts. And so they would go to these evening meals, and they would enjoy uh, these, these delicious meals, and they would sit next to the host and receive preferential treatment. What I want us to notice so far with this list is a lot of these things are things that each and every one of us desires to a degree. These are things that we all enjoy to a degree. We like to go out in public and when we're wearing something nice, we like people to say, hey, you look nice today, right? Uh, I know for me, I'm still learning how to dress my son because there's times when I'll take him out in public and I'm like, he looks good. And then I'll learn that he did not indeed match or he did not indeed look good, right? But we like to go out in public and to know that we look nice. The second thing, um, I mean, we all like to receive compliments. We like to receive uh, words of compliment. And even in ministry, to be referred to as a pastor is a high blessing. 
It's a very nice thing to be referred to that way. It's also something that, if we're not careful, can become very much a source of pride. The next thing, he says, chief seats in the synagogue. All of you like your seats in church, right? All of you uh, prefer a certain area, more than likely. Uh, and so we like to sit where we sit. And then lastly, uppermost rooms at feasts. Uh, I'm a kind of person who likes to sit in the middle of the table because then you get the full range of the conversation. Uh, but all I'm trying to show you is a lot of this stuff isn't in itself wrong. It's not necessarily abhorrent to desire these things. But as we continue, we're going to see where these people's hearts really are. What are they really made of? Verse 39, and, and, or verse 40, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. And so Jesus accuses the scribes, by the way, people who did not receive a salary, they were totally dependent on the, the generous giving of the people. These people had begun taking advantage of the very people who were generously giving to them. Uh, the, the, the figure of speech here, devouring widows' houses, uh, many commentators would say that widows would come to the scribes uh, looking for help in managing their estates, managing their well-being, and it was in those times when those scribes would take advantage of their generosity. And so these people who live off the generous giving of people are taking what does not belong to them and they are abusing the influence and power they have. Perhaps even worse, as you continue on at the very end of the verse, uh, verse uh, 40, it says, for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. And so what's the picture we get here? The picture we get here is that they are praying these long, elaborate, probably theologically rich prayers and yet they're doing it all not for the glory of God, but for the glory of self. When someone can pray with elegance, when someone can teach of elegance, they have an ability to draw people at times, do they not? And so these people are drawing people, they're gaining their confidence, they're taking advantage of them. Instead of pointing them to glory in God, they want the glory for themselves. And Jesus tells us that they will receive their greater damnation. I believe it's James chapter 3, verse 1. It's a very sobering verse for anyone who communicates in any capacity in church, uh, James is telling them that not many of you should be teachers, for we know that we will receive the greater condemnation. Now, I did paraphrase that, so if you're looking at it, it might be a little off. But here's the point, that those who are in positions of influence and leadership, whether it's in church, work, family, you are held to a high degree. Specifically, when you're teaching the scriptures, there is a high degree of accountability on people who communicate the scriptures. And, the, and it's a very good reason for that. We, like the scriptures unveil who God is. It allows us to know him. And so Jesus is saying they will receive greater condemnation for they have abused their influence and power and they have taken advantage of these widows. And so very uh, clear attack on the scribes. It's very clear that they are outwardly doing the right things while inwardly seeking glory for themselves. And what's very important, I, I didn't mention it earlier to note here, is that this, te this text really kind of marks the shift away from Jesus' public ministry. The text we dealt with last week marks the end of his interactions with the religious leaders. He's done interacting with them. He has drawn the divide. He has made it clear. And his public ministry, according to Mark, in his account, is done. What we're about to do very shortly is we're about to move into Passover and into the events that lead to the crucifixion and resurrection. And so Jesus has put the line in the sand. He has called out the scribes. He's left nothing undone. In fact, if you go to Matthew 23, there are seven woes. I can't do numbers. Seven woes he calls them out for. 
And so Jesus is dealing with them very directly and very clearly. And so the point of this, what are we getting at here? Um, what I want to challenge us on is you and I both are responsible for our relationships vertically and horizontally. My vertical relationship with God directly impacts and overflows into my relationship with people. A right love for God results in a right love for people. A humble uh, attitude towards God results in humility towards other people. And when these two are not in sync, it does not show that one has a good relationship with God but struggles with people. It shows that there is a complete breakdown. These scribes boasted of wealth. They boasted of spiritual wealth when, in fact, they were hiding great bankruptcy. And so as we, as we come to the end of this, just want to say two things. First, am I putting my confidence in other people? Am I putting my confidence in men, in leaders? It doesn't take much to look around, and in recent time, we've seen various church leaders who have fallen in various ways, and we grieve that. What we want to be careful of is that we do not lift men to a, to a pedestal that they do not belong. We want to be careful that we do not put hope and confidence in men putting a burden on them they cannot bear. What we want to do is recognize the gifts and the talents and then worship the one who gave it to them. That's what we want to do because we don't want to put a burden on them they can't handle and we don't want to put our trust where it can't be founded. Okay? And so the second thing is what do I love? What do I love? Uh, what do I long for from people? What do I desire for them to do for me? And, and, and what we have to be careful of is I have to be careful that my focus with people is not what can I get from you, but what can I give to you? And it's very easy. We can quickly slip into what can I get from you, but we need to strive to be people who give. And I think what's important in this text, because I, I mean, I have to be the first to admit that I struggle with this. Right? The scribes, though they're on blast right now, no one in this room is, is immune from struggling with these things. But I think what's important to see is a lack of humility. They are in the wrong, and they are not willing to recognize they're in the wrong. And so we want to be careful as people and, and as we follow leaders to be careful we follow people who are willing to admit when they're off course and get it back right. So that's the first one. This is the, Jesus calls out the scribes, and basically summarizing them, they boast of great spiritual wealth, while hiding great spiritual poverty. Uh, Jesus calls out the poor widow now. Verse 41, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. Just pausing there for a second, I love how we get this picture. Um, Jesus has been teaching in what's called the court of the Gentiles. Okay, so it's kind of further out from the temple, and now he's moved into what's called the court of women, and that's where the contributions are made. So they've moved closer towards the temple. He's not teaching currently. He's just sitting there, and what is he doing? He's people watching. I love that. I love that image that Jesus just, it's another demonstration of the fact that he is fully God, and he is fully man. He is among people. He is watching people interact. And uh, I think it's easy for us to read passages like this and to lose sight of the fact that he is in flesh, walking around, interacting with people. And so he's watching, and as he watches, many are contributing to the offerings, and many are giving a lot of money. To that we say, oh, yeah, that's awesome, right? I mean, that's a good thing. That's good to be generous with what, with what one has. Verse 42, he continues, And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. So what we have here is the widow brings in two copper coins, which are the equivalent of one forty-sixth 
of a denarius, which in essence is a day's wage. Not a lot of money. And what we find is that as she comes in, she gives both her coins, and, and she does it without making noise. She does it without bringing attention to herself. She just puts in her offering. And, and from the study and commentaries, what we find is that the, the, the offerings in this area, one, were for the temple tax, two, was to give to the poor. So a poor woman with two copper coins is giving what she has left to other poor people. That's the picture we have here of this woman. And next to her, you know, and, and the commentators will talk about how when they would contribute their coins, they're into these boxes and you can hear it clanking, right? You guys remember when we used to do a missionary offering for Christmas? You know, it's a cool noise to hear people give their loose change so that we can send that to missionaries. Now imagine that with the wealthy, they're dumping buckets worth of money and it can be heard. And in my mind, they like to be heard when they pray. They like to be seen out and about. They like to receive salutations. They like to be seen when they give. They like to be heard when they give. And so think about this woman. She's approaching to give her two mites. She can hear the, the, the coins clanking everywhere. You, she can see the people looking at them, and then she can feel the judgment of, I only have two mites to give. It can be very easy in that moment to say, you know, what's the worth? Why, why give? I'm just going to hold on to what I have. And yet she demonstrates astounding humility in giving what she has. Furthermore, as I studied, it was very interesting. Um, what we find is that the temple authorities would give out two mites a day to the poor. And what they could do with that is they could go buy a loaf of bread. And so we have this woman who has likely received two mites from the temple authorities in order for her to go get bread for the day, and she has taken those two mites and she has contributed them so that someone else can be cared for. What we see here in, in her actions is a demonstration of deep dependence on God and a deep love for God that impacted her actions. Right? Her actions don't save her. Her contribution to the offering doesn't make her righteous. But what it does do is it reveals what's really going on in that heart of hers. And so a few statements I just want to lay here. Her conduct revealed that she viewed her resources as a gift not a right. Her resources that she had, though they were almost too small to measure, they were a gift from God. And because they were a gift, she did not hold on to them like this, she held on to them like this. She was willing to give. Her conduct revealed that her hope was not in what she possessed, but in the one who supplied her needs. What does one do when they give the only two coins they have left? How do they eat? And, we, and, and Jesus doesn't fill us in on these details. And so we just trust that she trusted that he was going to meet her needs. He was going to supply her need for that day. Her conduct revealed that her wish was not the praise of men, but the praise of God. And then lastly, her conduct revealed that her sense of value was not primarily in what she gained from people, but what she gave to people. I can remember uh, kind of a silly story, but as a boy, I was getting a little bit older. Uh, I believed in Santa Claus pretty late. Oh, I shouldn't have said that on live stream. Um, he, deal with that at home, right? Uh, but I, I believed in him for a long time. And I adamantly believed in him. And one year, it, it became evident what was, what was what. And I was so empty and so upset because I was done opening gifts, but my little cousins were still opening them. And there was just this sense of just like, I was just so upset, and I just wanted more. And I remember my dad taking me aside and basically explaining to me that you need to learn to give now. 
you need to learn to take what you have and to share it with other people. Because here's the thing, uh, if I only take, take, take from people, first of all, they're gonna figure you out real quick. But second of all, I'm going to lose my ability to influence them in their walk with God. The, the subject matter this morning is an offering. It is a, a form of giving, a form of money, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? Because the Lord, Jesus, is not pointing out the widow because of how much she's giving, but because of the heart that she's giving it from. And as we, as we see the poor widow, we, we understand that she knew something that the well-learned scribes did not. She knew that physical wealth does not save you from spiritual poverty. She knew, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. She knew that she had poverty and that she could only go to one place to have that met. And so as we think about this story, uh, the, the goal is not to put a number of what should be given or what shouldn't be given. The goal is to say, do you and I humbly hold what we have with open hands and recognize where it comes from and then sacrificially give it. I can't tell you what that looks like. You can't tell me what that looks like. That's between you and your Father in heaven. But the point is that there is a humility that is needed of saying, hey, look, this is a gift. Like the, the time, the treasure, the talents that I have, God has given these to me, and I'm going to do what I can to honor him and to love the people around me. And, and she demonstrates that. The bottom line is this, that you and I cannot really understand our need. We cannot really understand uh, the gospel until we come to the place of realizing we're empty. We need to come to the place where we admit that we have very little to nothing to offer. Right? All I have is, is, is this poverty, and, and I'm going to trust that God is going to sustain me. He's going to give me what I need, and then I'm going to use that to bless others. And so the conduct of both does not have the power to rescue. It simply reveals the condition of their hearts. It just simply demonstrates where they at. Last week's text, the scribe agrees of Jesus. Yes, the law is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, neighbor as self. And they boast of doing that when in reality, their, their actions demonstrate a lack of love for God and a lack of love for neighbor. The poor widow who has nothing, her actions demonstrate a deep love for God and a deep love for neighbor. So, in life, there are going to be times when the clamps are going to come down, they're going to put pressure on us. What's going to be revealed? When I worship, when I give, the way I spend my time, the way I use my abilities, only between me and the Lord can I know truly, like, what's my motive? What's my heart in that? And so what I want to encourage us in is that we would be a people who humble ourselves and recognize that every good gift comes from above and that we would take it and that we would use it to love our God and to love others as we love ourselves. Um, time, treasure, and talents, as I said, they're, they're, they're just things that he's given us to steward. Right? And if we're not careful, they can blind us. We can begin to associate identity to them. Right? And what we need to do is to recognize, nope, that's not my identity, that's not who I am. I am a child of God, and I'm going to use what he's given me to bless him and those around me. And so, in closing... Every breath and every gift is a good gift from God. Let's be sure to humbly serve him and others with what he has given us. The bottom line this morning is when God gets my heart, he gets my time, my treasure, and my talents. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word and to learn from it. And Lord, uh, we thank you that... Uh, you have given us the opportunity to know you and to have a relationship to you. Lord, help us to be people who humbly
hold what we have with open palms and give it in a way that would honor you and love our neighbors. Lord, as we sing this last song, we pray that you would be lifted up. And Lord, that you would help us to be a people who show our love for you as we love those around us this week. We ask and we pray these things in your name. Amen.